what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptizing to death in order that just as Christ raised from the dead by the glory of Father. We too mighty walk in the newest of life, for if we have been united with, with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self is crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For all he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let no sin therefore reign your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not represent your members to sin as an instrument for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from dead to life, and your members to God as an instrument for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Thank you, Amanda, for reading today's Bible text. We have just come through an incredible Easter season. I say incredible because not only were the services we enjoyed uh, wonderfully meaningful, but we enjoyed them together. Now, my apologies to those who could not be with us in person, but if you're within driving distance of Willingdon, please come and join uh, the church family next week. Easter is the high point of reflection, celebration, and motivation for followers of Jesus. Reflection because we remember what Jesus did for us by dying a painful, sacrificial death on the cross, taking on all, not some, but all of our sin. Celebration because he rose from the dead three days later, defeating death and evil once and for all. And because he lives, everyone who turns from their sins and puts their faith in Jesus receives new life in Christ. And with that new life, we also receive a new identity and a new mission in life. And it's also motivating because now we live as citizens of a new kingdom. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have the Holy Spirit living in us and we are free to live as God created us to live. Now when sin comes calling, when Satan knocks on the door of your mind and your heart, you no longer need to open that door. He has no power over you because you are no longer his. For many Christ followers, there is a lingering question though. It's a question we often struggle with. And the question is this, if I am free, why do I still struggle? Now, when I gave my life over to Jesus Christ, I was convinced that I would never sin again. And I didn't for a few hours or maybe a day. And half that time I was asleep. Now, I found this struggle to be painful, frustrating, and even depressing. 
I kept asking God, if I'm so free, why do I still struggle so much with old sins, old habits, and old vices? The brokenness of my past that I knew I had been forgiven of and freed from seemed to keep creeping back into my life. As Paul tells us in in Romans chapter 5, verse 18, the good news is that Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Well, that's great news. Jesus' death and resurrection created the opportunity for everyone to have a new life, to become spiritually alive in Jesus. No matter how much people sinned or violated God's law, God's extraordinary grace was more than enough to cover their sins. So, in other words, the more we see just how sinful and fallen we are, the more we understand just how much God's grace has saved us. That's great news. Now, unfortunately, some people thought they could presume on God's grace. That what they did, how they behaved, didn't matter. That's why Paul begins Romans 6 with the question, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? More simply put, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Now, I like how different Bible translations answer Paul's question at the beginning of verse 2. One says, by no means, or of course not, God forbid, absolutely not. So back to the original predicament. If, as a follower of Jesus, I have been saved from my life of sin and have a new identity, a new life, why do I still commit acts of sin? Well, let's walk through this step by step. When the old self was crucified, we died to sin. Romans uh, 6 verse 2 says, How can we who die to sin still live in it? So what does that mean? It means death is the ending of a relationship with sin, but not the end of the existence of sin. When we died to sin, our relationship to sin ended forever. But sin was and is still alive. Don't miss this. Sin can no longer be our masters, what Romans 6.14 tells us. We have been delivered from Satan's dominion of darkness. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul writes, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We have been set free from Satan's dominion, from his bondage, but the influence of sin was not broken. Sin didn't die. Even though sin didn't die, sin's power to dominate us was broken through our spiritual death. When God crucified our old self, our old nature in Christ, and our resurrection came in Christ. Later in Romans 6 verse 7, Paul tells us, anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Sin is now an outer force tempting us from without rather than an inner force controlling us from within. We are no longer bound or obligated to serve or obey sin. We now commit sin when we willfully allow ourselves to act independently of God as the old self did. Now, did you catch that? We commit sin when we willfully allow ourselves to act independently of God, just like we did before we had a relationship with Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, I'm not choosing to sin. It just happens. 
I think and do things I don't really want to do. I feel trapped. So how can I live as a citizen of God's kingdom? How can I live as a citizen of God's kingdom? There are two truths we need to remember and embrace as kingdom citizens. Now, the first is to remember your baptism. Now, I know that sounds strange, but stick with me. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 says, Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? Paul uses baptism to remind us that we died to our sinful nature and now live in Jesus. How? Remember, the text does not say that sin dies to the believer. It is the believer who has died to sin. Sin continues to attempt to dominate the life and conduct of the believer. But the believer has been baptized into Christ, which means to have been baptized into Christ's death. Baptism is the public declaration in an identification with Jesus. Baptism is not simply a hoop to jump through or a church ceremony to participate in. Baptism is what Jesus tells his disciples to do in Matthew 28 and what Jesus modeled for us in his own life. If you are a follower of Christ, I can say without hesitation that Jesus commands you to be baptized. Paul tells followers of Jesus to be baptized to solidify our relationship with Jesus and with the community of Christ's followers. Secondly, we need to understand the battle that we are in. The struggle is not between the old nature with its propensity to sin and the new divine nature with its propensity to righteousness. Paul points us actually in another direction. In the book of Galatians chapter 5 verse uh, 13, Paul taught, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Okay, now remember, When you became a follower of Jesus, you were born again. You were born spiritually. And your old nature is dead. It was crucified in Christ by God. You now have a new nature within you, the divine, Christ's nature. But you still have something causing you trouble called the flesh. Paul said in uh, Galatians 5.24, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, here is the critical point. The old sinful nature was something God had to crucify for us. But the flesh is something we must crucify because the two are not the same thing. So then, what is the flesh? Well, let me give you an example. When you learn to drive, you have to consciously think about how to execute all the elements of driving safely and properly. However, As you practice it, doing it over and over and over, it turns into a good habit, which is ingrained in the flesh. These are the neural pathways in the brain. It becomes a habit that you can do without even thinking about. That is why you can drive from Burnaby uh, to Abbotsford, uh, 45 kilometers away, and then wonder how you got there. Your subconscious got you there while you were consciously thinking about something else. That's actually how we do most tasks in life like dressing ourselves, taking showers, eating, uh, walking, talking, biking, and so on. When sin entered the human race, our old nature's propensity towards sin 
cause us to form sinful habits or patterns which were ingrained in our flesh. The books you read, the movies you watched, the music you listened to, the traumatic events you experienced all influenced you. You were also influenced by your family, your friends, your peers, your neighborhood, teachers, and job. You learned to cope and survive in this world apart from God and God's ways. These were the destructive behaviors that you automatically began to follow and revert to. When you were born again, when you became spiritually alive, God killed your old self with its old nature and remade you into a new person with a new divine nature. You have new desires in your inner being or your new nature, as Romans 7 tells us. But nobody pressed the clear button in your brain or your flesh. Do you get that? Nobody pressed the clear button in your brain or your flesh. Though your sins were completely washed away and cleaned up, and the old nature was crucified, you brought all the old destructive habits and patterns to your new faith, which remained ingrained in your flesh. So, while your new self, with its divine nature, desires to live dependent and obedient to God, your flesh automatically reverts to the conditioned patterns of action and response in your subconscious. And that flesh is the part that you and I are responsible to crucify. Before we were saved, we were hopelessly imprisoned in the flesh. After salvation, after new relationship with Jesus, we can still choose to walk according to the flesh, as Romans tells us. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You need to intentionally free yourself from the pull of the flesh. So how do you free yourself from the pull of the flesh? In Romans chapter 6, verses 4 to 7, uh, Paul repeats himself twice because he is working hard to drive the truth into the hearts and minds of Jesus' followers in Rome. Uh, In the second repeat in verses 6 and 7, Paul said, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Our sinful nature is gone. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have been set free from the bondage of our sin. We are spiritually free, even if we feel practically or functionally enslaved. Now, I understand how it feels to be spiritually free, but functionally enslaved. At the age of 18, I died to sin and was made alive in Christ by putting my faith in Jesus. I was freed from my sinful nature. I received a new identity in Christ and was filled with joy and and got a new perspective on life. My priorities, my interests, my friendships, everything changed. But as the excitement of my new life in Christ kind of wore off, I found that my old habits and interests began to tug on my heart. The flesh seemed to be winning a tug of war for my heart, my mind, and ultimately my actions. Coming out of a sexually broken past, I was still stuck with the images and experience and poor coping mechanisms that wanted to claw their way back into my life, even though I knew I was free of the sexual abuse I had endured. I still had old appetites that wanted to be fed. I went back to believing the lies that Jesus had set me free from. Now, looking back, I can see that I was like the illustration of the elephant that's kept in a zoo. When you visited a a zoo, 
you would see these huge creatures often being held by only a small rope tied to their front leg. No chains, no cages. It was obvious that the elephant, if they wanted to, could at any time break away from the ropes that were tied to them, but for some reason, they never did. Now, elephant trainers know that when elephants are young and much, much smaller, they can be tied up with a regular size rope to hold them. And as they grow, they become conditioned to believe that they cannot break away. In fact, they believe that that little rope that held them when they were young and small and much weaker can still hold them, so they never tried to break away. These large animals could at any time just walk away from these bonds, but because they believed they couldn't, they were stuck right where they were. When we believe lies about who we are in Christ, we give power to sin that sin does not have on its own. Remember, if you are a Christ follower, you have been freed from the power of sin. Now, I know for some people, God delivers them from their addictions uh, when they give their lives to him. But others continue to struggle. Some are stuck in lies about themselves, lies about God, lies that separate them from the power of God that has been demonstrated through Jesus. Lies like, Jesus can't forgive this sin, or Jesus will never accept me, or I can't forgive myself. The place to begin is to choose to be free, to choose to live in your identity as a follower of Jesus, to walk in community with other Christ followers and open our lives up to each other, to slay our pride, to own our self-sufficiency and believe what Jesus has done for us. But we all need help to do that. Now, that is why we are presenting the Set Free Retreat the first weekend in May, to help you live in your new identity as a follower of Jesus. That's why we provide Freedom Session, which is an in-depth 28-week experience intended to help you walk in freedom in Christ. I know that some of you still have questions. You're wondering how you can be sure that God will do what he promised. You're wondering, how can I be sure God will set me free? I think that's the question on our minds. How can I be sure God will set me free? In Romans 6, verses 9 to 11, Paul said, We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. He will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. I remember on my first trip to Europe, I was simultaneously impressed and depressed by the great cathedrals we we visited. I was impressed by the amazing architecture, but I was depressed because Jesus was always still on the cross. Christ crucified is not the whole gospel. There's more. We need to remember that Jesus was victorious over death and the grave, and it is the resurrection that makes the good news good news. So how can we be sure that God will do what he promises to do? Because we can be sure Jesus rose triumphantly over Satan, which was the ultimate show of force. Jesus Christ is forever crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. There's nothing more to add to what Jesus has done. You don't have to, nor could you, do more to receive new life in Jesus. Simply turn from your sins, accept his forgiveness, put your faith in him, and follow him in obedience and baptism. Believe what the Bible says about you as a child of God. Now you may wonder, what does the Bible say about you? Well, 
Here's a partial list of what the Bible says. You are created in the image of God, Genesis 1.28. God chose you and appointed you to bear fruit, John 15.16. You are God's masterpiece, Ephesians 2, verse 10. Nothing can separate you from God's love, Romans 8.38. God isn't finished with you and won't stop until he is, Philippians 1, verse 6. You didn't save yourself. God's grace did. Ephesians 2, verse 8. You are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You are filled with resurrection power. Romans 8, verse 11. You are not condemned. Romans 8, verse 1. You are free. John 8, 36. God chose you and adopted you into his family. Romans 8.15 God knows all about you and still loves you. Psalm 139 You are no longer a slave to sin. Romans 6.6 You are a son or a daughter of God. 1 John 3 verses 1 and 2 You have been raised to new life. Colossians 3 verses 1 and 3 Let those truths sink in. It's so amazing about who we actually are and how God sees us. But many of us are still asking, how do I live out my new identity? Paul tells the Roman Christians to live in the reality of what Jesus has done and to apply the authority they have as citizens of God's kingdom. Verses 12 and 13 have three negative imperatives. Do not or choose not to. Verse 12 says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to your sinful desires. 13 says, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Paul is telling Roman Christians to choose to live into the reality of what Jesus has done for them. So what should they do? Well, uh, verse 13 says, Instead, give yourselves completely to God. Why should I give myself completely to God? Back to verse 13. For you were dead, but now you have new life. You have new life coursing through your veins, your heart, and your mind. Live it. Engage in it. Pursue it. For what purpose? Back to verse 13. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. In Christ, we have died to sin and we are alive to God so we can base our daily lives on that truth and live from that perspective. If we live alive to God, we can no longer allow sin to reign in our bodies. That's what verse 12 tells us. Death and sin do not own us anymore, so we don't need to listen to death and sin. One commentator described it this way. He had a friend who had served in the army under a very difficult and authoritarian commander. After he completed his term of service, he was no longer under that commander. Well, one day he ran into the commander at a market and he immediately began to stand to attention. Uh, When he caught himself, he suddenly remembered that the commander had no authority over him because he was not in the army anymore. He stopped what he was doing. You see, sin no longer has the authority to enforce its demands on you. Practically, this means that we don't make any part of our bodies available to be used for ungodly purposes. When sin knocks on your door through a thought in your mind or a craving in your soul, you have the right and the authority to say, no, 
I'm not living that way anymore. This battle has played out in my thoughts many, many times. A number of years ago, a friend of mine put it this way. When sin comes knocking, it is inviting you to worship, to give your time, attention, and emotions to something other than Jesus. So then I needed to ask myself, why would I worship pornography instead of God? Why would I worship greed instead of God? Why would I worship adultery or food or fear or superstition or money, you fill in the blank, instead of God? I found that line of thought to be sobering and helpful when sin came knocking on my door and calling for my attention and ultimately my worship. I'm captured by the biblical commentator who said, we are faced with the tremendous alternative of making ourselves weapons in the hand of God or weapons in the hand of sin. Those who live free can proclaim with Paul as he does in Romans uh, uh, 6.14. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Do you catch that? Sin is not your master. You owe sin nothing. Sin has no hold on you. You are under grace because you have entered the new era in which the power to overcome sin is readily attainable in Christ. Do you want to live free? Do you want to live as God created you to live? Learn the truth about who you are in Christ. Let the beautiful truth of being adopted into God's family because of Jesus' saving work on the cross flow over you, penetrate your heart and your soul and your mind. Let the truth of your identity in Christ penetrate your thoughts and ultimately your actions. Choose to walk with godly people that you can be real with. Join a life group. Join a disciple group. Stop hiding who you are from others and walk with transparency and vulnerability in a community focused on living free in Christ. Attend Set Free. Sign up for Freedom Session. Stop playing games with Jesus. He is far too wonderful for us to be dabbling with a relationship with him. And here's what you can do right now. You can repent or turn from your sinful choices that you have made. Ask Jesus for forgiveness, which has already been promised to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and guide you in taking steps to live free in Christ. Choose to walk with others to grow in living free in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for freedom. And Father, for people who are listening with this, uh, to this right now, who are grappling with this tension of the tug of sin on their heart. Father, I pray the truth of who they are, who you made them to be, free in relationship with you, will run deep into their souls. If they don't know you, Father, it's just that simple, that simple opportunity to say, Jesus, come and forgive my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Be my leader and my friend and my guide. And teach me to walk with you every day. For people who do know you and are stuck, Father, I pray against the lies of the enemy, that wants to isolate. I pray that you would give them the strength to choose to be vulnerable with a trusted person, to choose to say, I want to follow Jesus every day in every way, to choose community over isolation. Father, thank you that you are gracious and your grace extends over our sin and that you've made us free. Please walk with us every day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.